it really wasn't until after working for a few years and um, having some not so great experiences in the workforce that I really became aware of my anxiety problems, although they might have started earlier. Everybody has fear and there's kind of a fine line between nervousness, nervous anxiety that everybody has and then true paralyzing anxiety that keeps you from moving over that line and taking a chance. I've been laid off now so I'm looking at a new at an interview process again and every time I have to go through something new like that I have to really look at my anxiety and face it in the, in the, in the eye and just move through it. I think some lies of the enemy that I hear often are, you know, that you should be ashamed. That's one of the biggest things. I think shame and depression and anxiety can all be tied up together. Sometimes I feel like I'm inadequate. I feel like that, you know, the things that I have to do around the house, sometimes they seem so overwhelming to me, even though they're just a simple, it might be the simple thing like doing laundry. Well, if it gets too high, then I'm not going to want to do it because it's too overwhelming. And simple tasks that people take for granted every day that they do and that you do as a mom, it makes you feel like a failure if you can't do those things. But I'm thankful that I have a really good support system in my family, and especially with my husband, that he, he steps up and he sees the struggle and he knows and he helps. You can get too far into the why. Why does God, why do I struggle with this? Why has it been a, a somewhat lifelong struggle? Why can't it just go away? Um, but I'm more like to think about it as what? What can I do with it? I'm excited to be leading a group now on anxiety. Um, and I've led several groups throughout my lifetime, but I guess if, I, if you had told me when I was a teenager that, hey, you're gonna be at, the, at Frasier and you're gonna lead women's groups, or small groups, and I would have said, nah, I don't think so. You know, I like to be in the shadows, in the background. I've kind of, I'm kind of like a reluctant leader. I think it's very important to have a view of yourself that you can see yourself through God's eyes, um, that you accept that, hey, I have these issues, I have these problems, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means that, you know, you struggle. Like anyone struggles with a physical illness, then you struggle with this but it's something that God can always come through and I think as you learn to accept yourself and accept that this is kind of part, or, part of you and not always be trying to run away from it, you learn to love yourself the way you are and you learn to accept yourself and your quirks and your, your hang-ups and things that you see that other, you think that other people think are negatives, they're probably not. And the more you can accept yourself and love yourself, the more then you, then you can take that love to other people to your neighbor. Jesus Christ defines me as a person and he loves me unconditionally. He loves me as I am and I would just encourage anyone struggling with that or has a family member that's struggling with it to encourage them just to look at themselves through the eyes of Christ. Wow, I'm so thankful to Emily for that amazing uh, testimony. It's a hard thing to be vulnerable like that, but it is a beautiful thing uh, as well. This morning we're continuing our series. We're getting close to the end. Next Sunday is going to be Commitment Sunday, but we've been talking about what it means to be a church that fulfills the Great Commission by living the Great Commandment, by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor, and today we're going to talk about loving ourselves. What does it mean to love ourselves? I had 20 points that I was going to give you. I've cut it down to four. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, yes, yes. 
But let's pray. We'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this moment. Lord, right here, right now, you're with us. Each and every one of us has walked into this room this morning, and there are things happening in our lives that we would rather not be there. No one is exempt from walking through life and life happening around them and in them and to them. And so, Lord, as we come to this moment in this place, I ask for your presence. Lord, I ask that you would help us see, help us hear, help us receive what you have for us. We believe you can do that. And we pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Whenever you think about the powerful verses of Scripture, you think about the Romans 8.28s, Psalm 23s, these powerful fighter verses that we have that we put on bumper stickers and refrigerators and we make them into art and we hang them on our walls. I want to give you some important verses, though, this morning. Unfamiliar, but important. Matthew 8.18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Or important verses like Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, he, Jesus, made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Matthew 15, 39. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat. Mark 6, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and they went ahead of him while he himself was sending the crowd away. Matthew 13, 36, then he, Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house. The crowds. Jesus had a way of getting away, didn't he? It's always seemed to, it looks like, to involve a boat of some kind. Someone came up to me after the first service. I won't tell you who they are, Ray Tucker. And they said to me, <laughs> I was reading those verses, and it was as if God was telling me to get a boat. If the Lord's speaking, good for you, Ray Tucker. I won't tell you who it is, though. But Jesus had a way of getting away. And he was getting away from the crowds. He was getting away from the busyness that can happen when we're in a crowd. But notice where he was going. He, Jesus was not just taking a beach vacation, although it did involve the, the beach a lot of times. Notice that Jesus was getting away to spend time with his disciples. He was constantly sending them ahead so he could deal with the crowd. We also read over and over, we see that Jesus would get away in order to spend time with God. One of the things I want you to hear me say today is that it's okay, it's okay. You have permission to rest. You have permission to rest. Everybody needs to rest every now and then, especially if you're gonna take care of yourself and love yourself. You have to learn how to rest. Now notice, I didn't say you have to learn how to skip church, just so we're clear. Jesus was getting away with the disciples. He's getting away to spend time with the disciples and with God. And we have to learn how to do this. Now, I say you have permission to rest. God said it a little more strictly. God commanded 
that you rest. It's like not optional. He even put it in one of the big ten. It's called a Sabbath. It's where we take a moment, take a day, take a deep breath and rest and realize that the world does not function because we're in it. It functions because God's in control. Every one of us need those times. It's commanded weekly. It's also seasonally if you look throughout the Old Testament. But we need those times when we can take a deep breath and rest in the presence of God. Which raises a really big question, I think, for us. And that is, how do we do that continually? You know, I think if, if, if America needs any message today, I think it's this one. Because we're tired. We are tired people. One survey that was just done said that for Americans, the people survey said 60% said they were more tired now than they were before the pandemic started. 60% more tired. Two-thirds say that their sleep routine has permanently been ruined by the pandemic. 50% of people who work virtually 50% say that they get out of bed 10 minutes before their virtual workday starts. 10 minutes. I hope they brush their teeth. (laughs) Even if you can't smell the breath, it's just good hygiene, you know? Just saying. Free advice. That was not a part of the sermon. 65% of the parents say that they are having a harder time getting their kids to bed at night. 50% of the couples report sleeping in a different bedroom more frequently during the pandemic. With unfamiliar work hours and work environments, it seems like we spend our days working on a screen only to move then to another screen where we binge watch Netflix at night and we find ourselves tired for some reason. We try to distract ourselves with home projects, maybe trying out a new hobby or just drinking more alcohol as sales are on the rise. An old word is being used in a different way and people are starting to redefine their home as a sanctuary, a sanctuary, a haven away from the chaos of diseases and diagnosis. People are cutting the cable cord, trying to break themselves from new cycles only to forget that The phone is in their hand. It seems like what we're doing is not working. Anxiety is on the rise, and happiness, well, seems to be at an all-time low. 33% of Americans in one national survey, 33% said that they would put themselves in the category of happy. Only 33%. What is called GAD, or Generalized Anxiety Disorder, affects 40 million Americans every single day. 30 million people worldwide. Heaped on top of the anxiety is personal guilt and societal shame, which only makes the pain worse and the journey that much harder. And each one of us is left with the question, what do we do? What can we do? How do we love ourselves in a healthy way? God-honoring way? How do we love ourselves the way God intended? Again, I had 20 points. I cut it down to four. Again, you're welcome. Let's start with point number one. Four ways that I love myself the way God intended. Number one is this. 
If I'm going to love myself, and this is very important, if I'm going to love myself the way God intended, I have to always remind myself that I am learning. I am learning. You are learning. Here's what I mean by that. Whenever you gave your heart to Christ, whenever you gave your life to Christ, you became a new creation, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, right? You are a new creation. But here's the thing. You then and I then, whenever we give our heart to Christ, whenever we give our life to Christ, we have to learn how to live into that new nature. We have to learn how to live as followers of Christ. We have to learn what it means to put on Christ, to walk like Christ in this world. Many times in life, we say we're struggling with sin, just kind of how we generally put it. That is not always the case. Sometimes we're not actually struggling with sin. What we're struggling with is how to live into our new nature that's so radically different from our old. Remember, the new has come. The old is gone. It's gone. We have to learn how to live as a new creation in Christ. Colossians 3.10 puts it this way. Paul says, put on your new nature. Put it on. Who's he talking to? Christians. Not pagans. Christians. Well, some of them could have been, but Christians, right? Christians, he's talking to the church. Put on, put on your new nature. It's there. Put it on and be renewed as you learn. As you learn. I'm learning. Learning two things. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. You're learning. I'm learning. We're on this journey of learning who this God is, of becoming like him. It does not happen overnight. It is not instantaneous. We're learning. I was thinking about Eddie Ray's first birthday party. You know, he's six now, turned six years old this year. I mean, he's losing teeth like one of those clowns at the fair. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just dropping. Uh, but when he was one, I, I remember we were back in Florence. We had friends and family around. In fact, we have a picture here for you. Here's a picture of Eddie Ray. Look at him. Oh, and he's so cute. He was eating his pizza. He loved it. My mom bought him a bunch of presents. She's probably watching this. It's okay. Well, it came time for him to eat the cake. Kate, we have this picture. Cake. Oh, that was him starting out. He had cake everywhere. He had cake on his cheeks. He had cake in his ears. He had cake up his nose. He had cake in his hair. He had cake everywhere. Just got it everywhere. Now, how many of you know, when, when Eddie Ray was getting cake everywhere, Emily and I were not frustrated. We were not frustrated by the messiness or the mess he was making. In fact, number one, we expected it. He's one. It's what one-year-olds do. We couldn't even give him a fork to eat the thing with. He'd hurt himself with a fork. He's one. He's one. We expected it. Not only that, number two, we knew that Eddie Ray would not always eat cake like that. He's one. It'd be different when he's five and 10 and 15. Maybe not much difference between 10 and 15 year old boys, but there's a difference in general, right? There's a difference. We knew it was not always gonna be, we knew that he was learning. He was learning. 
Same thing with us and God. When we become a new creation, we have to learn how to put on our new nature. It takes time. We're learning. Go back to the verse, Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn. I'm learning two things. Number one, we are learning to know someone new, the creator. The creator. We're learning to know this God who created the world, who created the universe, who created, who created us. We're learning him. And then number two, we're not only learning God, we're also learning to become someone new. We're learning someone new, we're learning to become someone new. We're learning to become like him. That does not happen, again, instantaneously. And the same grace that brought us into a relationship with God is the same grace that helps us grow in that relationship with God, and it takes time. I hate to break it to you this morning. This may be news for some of you, and it may actually be hard for you to hear, but you're not perfect. I am so sorry to break that news to you. I know some of you were looking in the mirror this morning, getting ready, thinking, oh, how perfect you are. You're not. You're learning, though. You're learning who this perfect one is. You're learning to become like him, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful journey. Point number two is this. While we're learning, here's what we have to do. If I'm going to love myself the way God intended, I am patient with myself without giving into procrastination. I'm patient without procrastinating. Just as Eddie raged, I did not expect him to walk when he came out of the womb. The day that you became a new creation in Christ, you were not perfect and God did not expect it. That's why Romans 8.1, Paul writes and says, there is... Uh, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. No condemnation. No, no, no. But there is instruction. Instruction that helps us become mature. But we have to make sure we're patient with ourselves as we're on this journey. We have to be patient with ourselves. While we're being patient, though, while we're being patient, we, we cannot put off the progress we know we need to make. We can't do it. We have to be patient, yes, but we cannot put off the progress we know we need to make because, the, because who God created you to be is so much more better. It's so greater than who you are right now. So greater. You don't want to put off that progress that God wants you to make. Don't do it. But you have to be patient as you're on this journey. You cannot rush your growth. You can't do it. You cannot rush your growth, but you can slow it down and even bring it to a screeching halt. You can't do that. You have to be patient without putting off the progress you know you need to make. I was thinking this week about Alex Smith, Washington Redskins quarterback, November 18, 2018. There's a play against the Texans, compound fracture to his leg, snaps it right in half. Four different hospitals over nine months, 17 surgeries. They actually thought they were going to have to amputate the leg at one point, and then they thought he was going to die because of the infection. 17 surgeries. He had to learn how to be patient, but not put off, put off the progress he knew he needed to make. October 11, 2020, a few weeks ago, Alex Smith ran back up onto the football field for the first time in two years. Patient, but not procrastinate. Patient, but not procrastinate. The third thing is this. 
If I'm going to love myself the way God intended, I seek to live a disciplined life, a disciplined life without giving in to despair. Discipline, but not despair. You know, when it comes to discipline, anything worth having in life is going to cost you something, right? Anything worth having, anything you want to achieve in life, it's going to cost you something. My wife is an amazing Spanish teacher, speaks Spanish fluently. Since I'm the one with the microphone and I'm the husband, I can brag. She is. She's good. Award-winning Spanish teacher. She didn't learn Spanish overnight. Nobody does. Not even native speakers. Right? Walking with God is a lot like learning a language. It takes time. It takes time. You have to be disciplined, but you can't just fall into despair and give up. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, do not waste time arguing do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. I don't know about you, but any training I've ever done, it takes effort. It's not easy. It's tough. He says, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. It is a good thing. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Absolutely. Train yourself to be godly. Whenever we are training ourselves, training will lead to discipline. Discipline, though, takes time. It takes time. But here's the thing. What happens when your discipline wavers? What happens when you look up and you realize you've got cake all over your face and you've made a mess of something? What then? I love what Jeremiah wrote in the book of Lamentations. He says, God, your mercy is made new every morning. When you mess up, it's not a time to fall into despair. It's time to realize that his mercy is made new every morning. You messed up yesterday, you get up today and you keep going. And you keep moving. So many times what happens is when our discipline breaks in some way or it wavers in some way, what Satan wants to do is to heap shame on top of it so that we fall into despair and we don't get up and keep moving forward. Sometimes what breaks in our life is not our own discipline but the discipline of someone else and we're affected by it. Sometimes the problems we encounter in life are not the ones we create but the ones that are brought to our doorstep by somebody else not following God. Are you with me there? What do you do then? Same thing, you get up. His mercy is new. You get up, you keep moving forward. Don't give up, don't give up. This is what Bibby Chambers discovered. Bibby and her husband were chaplains in World War I. They were in Egypt. He was the teacher, she was the translator. Amazing ministry that they had. Amazing ministry, reaching people for Christ, helping people cope with war and everything that was going on. And then... Bibby's husband died from complications with appendicitis. It looks like everything's done and over at that point. She just needs to pack up and go home with her child who was with her. Instead, what she did was she took these letters, these notes, these sermons, these lessons from her husband. She put them in a book and published that book. Her husband was Oswald Chambers. The book, My Utmost for His Highest. If you've never heard of that book, you need to get a copy today. Billions of copies sold, millions of lives changed through his words. You can give up and fall into despair, whether it's your discipline that wavers or someone else's. 
You can do that or you can get up. Realize that his mercy and grace is made new every single day and you can keep moving forward, training yourself to be godly. That's up to you. Number four. If I'm going to love myself the way God intends, I'm going to seek satisfaction in God without pride in my progress. Realize that ultimately what satisfies me in life is my relationship with God and not pride in my progress. You see, we have to love ourselves enough to be honest with ourselves. We have to love ourselves enough to be honest with ourselves and love ourselves enough to remind ourselves that the progress we have been making, we've been making only by the grace of God. It's by his work in our life. And I encourage you not to let the ground that you've taken on your spiritual journey be set back by pride. Instead, instead, be satisfied in the fact that you have a relationship with the one who set the stars in motion. Be satisfied with the fact that you have a relationship with the one who gave you the last breath you just took. Be satisfied with the fact that you have a relationship with the one who woke you up out of bed this morning and allowed you to be sitting here or watching online right now. You have a relationship with that God. And we find our ultimate satisfaction not in the progress we think we are making, but in the fact that we get God. A relationship with the Creator. And we get to become like Him. That's what we are learning. You see, what Satan wants to do is Satan, I really think, he does not care if you make some progress in your Christian walk as long as he can make you prideful about it. Because he knows then that you'll take two steps forward and three steps back. It's how powerful pride is and dangerous. We have to remind ourselves that we're learning. We're learning. Every one of us are learning. No one is perfect. We're learning. You're learning. So we have to be patient but not procrastinate. We have to be disciplined but not fall into despair. And ultimately find our satisfaction in God and in God alone. Not think we're something we're not. And let pride overtake us. When it comes to where we are right now as a church, next week is Commitment Sunday. Beautiful Sunday. We're going to celebrate all the saints who have gone on before us. We're going to have times of prayer, communion, bring our commitment cards and lay them before the feet of the Lord and pray that God would bless in powerful ways. Those cards, the financial information will go to the finance office. They'll record that safely and accordingly. Your goals are going to be kept safe. People aren't looking at them, but they're going to be prayed for every day, every single day that you would become the person God has called you to be and you would do, therefore, what it is he's called you to do. So excited about the years ahead. It's going to be so fun. And God is going to do some amazing things. But for the day, here's my challenge. You can spend your life staring at and worried about the messes you've made. Or you could set your eyes on the Maker let him clean up the mess. You see, you didn't catch God off guard when you got it wrong. 
You didn't. And he can take all of that evil, whatever it was, however it came your way, and he can use it for good. Our part is to stop focusing on the mess. Instead, focus on the maker. Let the maker do his work. You can keep trying to clean it up if you want to. You can. It's not going to work. But you can keep trying. Or you can take your eyes off the mess, focus on the maker, and watch him do amazing things. How's that working for you? How are you loving yourself? You still trying to fix yourself? Or do you love yourself enough? Say, God, here am I. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Do what I cannot do. Yes or maker? your choice. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, right here, right now, everyone who is able to stand in this room is standing for all those who are watching online and on television. Lord, here we are. You see everything there is to see about us. So here we are. Lord, I pray for those in the room right now and those watching on television and online who are having a hard time loving themselves, having a hard time seeing that they are of infinite worth because you sent your son to die in their place. Lord, I pray for those right now who feel like they've messed up and things are just too bad and they can never recover. Father, I pray that your redeeming hand would move in powerful ways and you would break our pride that thinks that you can't do anything about where we are. Father, I pray for those right now in the room who someone else's sin has affected their life. They can't seem to get away from it. Father, would you bring the healing that we desperately need? Would your powerful hand sweep through our heart and mind and do the work that only you can do? And Lord, for all of us right here, right now, would you help us love ourselves, not as the world, but as your sons and daughters? Let it be so in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said...